If you have your Bible, you can open it up to Genesis chapter number 26. Uh, for anybody looking, that's in the beginning. It's, it's right after the cover. <laughs> I always used to get them when I youth pastored, open to the book of Michael chapter 2. And they'd be searching and searching and searching. Um, Genesis chapter 26. Uh, I'm going to read one or two of these verses here. Um, verse 18, verse 19. And then we'll take a moment and pray. I really believe that the Lord wants to do something this afternoon to crack the well of hunger on the inside of us. I don't know what you came this afternoon expecting. Um, I don't know what type of expectation you have in your heart overall in this season. Uh, I don't know what your level of hunger looks like. I don't know where necessarily your desperation is in this season with the Lord, if there be any. And that's not to suppose or to assume positive or negative. I just understand how life goes. And life has a way of callousing us. Life has a way of distancing us. Um, life has a way of beating us down and wearying us. Um, and so, again, I don't say that to assume or to suppose that there is or that there is not. Uh, I just don't know. And so I'm trusting the Lord for something this afternoon because I really believe that God wants to do something extraordinary in our midst. And I, I believe that it's not something that's going to be able to rest upon the gift of any particular individual. Right? We need a move of God in this hour of history. I'm not talking about fancy meetings. I'm not talking about... Um, you know, whatever great organization. I'm actually talking about a move that is so real, that is so powerful, that is so unveiling of the beauty and the majesty and the might of who God is. Something that, that is supernatural because it's something that is sovereign. It's something that overrides all of our human abilities to try to hype up or manufacture something that people would applaud, where we would walk away having an appreciation because of what a man was able to do. That, that's not at all what it is that I'm talking about. I'm talking about where God actually invades a particular space or place so much so that the reality of who God is in the midst of a people puts all of man's abilities and gifting and charisma on the back row. Where, where the applause and the appreciation with someone's charisma, with someone's articulation, with how somebody flows is completely overwhelmed and disrupted because God has actually not just theoretically or theologically become present, but in a manifest way has entered into a space in the midst of a people. You see, we read about all of these great moves of God historically. Right? We understand there's Argentina, we understand there's Brazil, there's Toronto, there's the Welsh Revival, there's Topeka, Kansas, there's Azusa Street, there's Brownsville. And God has, in different moments and seasons of history, made himself known the way that he has desired to. We're all familiar with history. 
We're all aware that there has been specific seasons when God has unveiled himself with majesty and glory. I'm talking raw power and demonstration, not something that the right worship set worked up, not something that whoever was opening in prayer was able to, in a fiery way, cheerlead everybody and get them going. But I'm talking about where God himself chose that in the fullness of time moments, right? Galatians 4.4, in the fullness of time, God demonstrated himself. He put Jesus into a particular time period, and he called it the fullness of time. I'm talking about in moments where the measure of time seems to match God's desires, and he chooses to move, to act, to demonstrate, to display, to unveil, to create a moment in time where he is going to do something in the midst of a people that those people could never in a million years buy, manufacture, period. And so I believe that God wants to do something extraordinary in this hour of history. Um, I believe that our nation is on the threshold of another extraordinary move of God. Not, not in response to the wickedness, the corruption. Um, God is not somehow boxing with the enemy and going tit for tat. Um, this isn't like masterminds sitting together and playing chess. Uh, this is not at all what is actually happening. God is sovereign. He rules. He reigns. He is governmentally superintending time in history and driving it towards the destination that he has said is what it is that he wants. That is what is happening. But there are moments in time where those of us who have an ear can hear what the Spirit is saying. Right? Revelation 2 and 3, it's said to all seven churches, those who have an ear to hear, what is the suggestion? The suggestion is that not everybody has an ear to hear. Not everybody is even aware. Not everybody is even awake. Not everybody is in tune with what it is that the Spirit is saying. That what it is that's being suggested is that not everyone is in the same place according to sensitivity to God's purposes in particular time periods. But he says, those who actually have an ear to hear what the Spirit is saying. Can you hear what God is saying? Is your ear open? Is your ear open to hear what the Spirit is saying in this hour? And what is it that we are doing about it? Um, I believe that we're on the threshold of an extraordinary unveiling of the person of Jesus in our nation. And I believe that the Lord is awakening a hungry remnant of people, those who have an ear to hear what it is that the Spirit is saying. I believe that the Lord is awakening a hungry remnant of people, and he is using the processes of life in this hour of history to drive them into the place of prayer and intercession. He is using the processes of this life to drive a people into the place of prayer and intercession. 
And so we're going to read two verses here in Genesis 26. And again, I'm going to pray for something very specific. In Genesis 26, in verse 18, it says, Then Isaac dug again the wells which had been dug in the days of his father, Abraham. For the Philistines had stopped them up after the death of Abraham. And he gave them the same names which his father had given them. But when Isaac's servants dug in the valley and found there a well of flowing water, the herdsmen of Gerar quarreled with the herdsmen of Isaac, saying, the water is ours. So he named the well Essek because they contended with him there. Lord, I'm asking you this afternoon to crack the well that is on the inside of every one of your sons and daughters. Lord, those that are sitting in this room right now that belong to you, those who have caught in a glimpse of the beauty of Jesus, those who have yielded their lives by the power of the Holy Spirit, those who right now, who in a surrendered way, have a longing on the inside to see you move in an extraordinary way in this hour of history. Um, Lord, I'm asking you, touch us deeply on the inside. Awaken hunger. Awaken longing. Awaken groaning and travailing. Awaken a painful ache on the inside that begins to sort through all of the conversations of our life and determines that there is one conversation that is more ultimate than every other. Um, Lord, we want to see you move in this hour of history. Thank you for the history books. Thank you for the scriptures. Thank you for those who have testimonies and tell stories. Um, but Lord, we understand that you're the same yesterday, today, and forever. And Lord, we're asking you to dig up whatever needs to be dug up on the inside of each and every one of us and to crack open the well of living water on the inside and let it bubble up from within and let it overtake us. Let it bubble up from within and produce a cry that would erupt from the inside of us. Let it bubble up from the inside and wholly consume all of our attention and drive us to the place where we pray the prayer that gives you permission to release destiny over our lives. Lord, use your process to push us to pray. And as we intercede and join you in the place of intercession, O eternal intercessor Jesus, may we release the vow, the declaration, the prayer 
through a season of being processed in intercession. May you break us and crack open the well on the inside that actually gets what it is that you are really after in this season. Um, we love you, Jesus. I pray, Holy Spirit, sweep over this room. Leave no one out. Sweep over this room. Whatever our immediate level of interest may seem to be, I pray wreck every single person. I pray for the suddenlies of God. Thank you for the wind blowing and the fire resting. I thank you for a deep troubling on the inside that would disrupt everything that we know to be normal, that would completely deconstruct all of our ideas of what a cute Christian life would be. I pray entirely bring devastation to anything that we have been building that has not been built by the power and the beauty of the Spirit. Do what you must to have the people that you are after. Um, and I pray you don't have to wait, Holy Spirit, until the end for some sort of altar call. Um, I pray that even as Peter in Acts 10 was preaching in Cornelius' house, um, Holy Spirit, these are your people. So move on them as you see fit. Disrupt the order of service and everything that we consider to be orderly. I pray move as you desire. Shake everything that can be shaken. Thank you for the suddenlies. Fall on your people. In Jesus' name. If you have an ear to hear, then hear what the Spirit is saying. I believe in this season of life, the Lord is doing everything that he can to crack the well on the inside. We understand because of what Jesus says in Matthew 24, in that whole section where he's talking about there are dark days ahead of us. We understand that. The Bible says that. There are dark days ahead of us. There's what's called the period of tribulation. As wickedness escalates, as we lean in towards the end of the age and the return of Jesus. And Jesus says that in that particular time period, that people's hearts are going to grow cold for a variety of reasons. Some because they have too many worldly interests. And when all of their worldly interests begin to shake, their love for the world that has always been greater than their love for Jesus will be exposed. And people will walk away from Jesus in that last period of time. And as a matter of fact, he even says that the, the hearts of many will grow cold, that men will become lovers of themselves, that they'll become hateful, revengeful, all of these types of things. He says that that time period, 
is going to be so great that if he had not cut it short, that no man would actually be able to persevere through it. But we understand that in that time period is going to rise the greatest intercession in the history of the age. That in that time period of tribulation will also be a time period of intercession. We understand that Revelation 22:17 says that in those days, the spirit and the bride will say, come, Lord Jesus. It will be that Maranatha cry. That Maranatha cry will rise when the spirit and the bride will have a unified cry where what is erupting on the inside of sons and daughters will be, come, Lord Jesus. There is something peculiar about how trouble and trial and the pressing of life actually brings us to the threshold where we begin to intercede and to pray out and to cry out and to groan for things that matter in an ultimate way, seeming to put down all of the other nonsensical things that at times only matter in an immediate way. And in that period of time, there's going to be intercession that rises. Right? When you read Revelation 5 and verse 8, it tells us that incense rises. And that as incense rises, it fills bowls in the heavens. We get it harp and bowl. And when incense rises, angelic host You have these beautiful word pictures in the book of Revelation as John is raptured gloriously into this throne room vision and visitation. And and part of that is in chapter 5 where he mentions incense. And he says that the incense is the intercession of the saints. That incense filling bowls in a heavenly scene is the prayers of the saints. And when you turn into Revelation 8, We understand that when those bowls get filled to a certain point, it will create a tipping point where the bowls of intercession and the fire from angelic host is going to be tipped over and judgments will then be poured out on the earth. So we understand that in this hour of tribulation, it will also be the greatest hour of intercession that the church has ever experienced. And it will be through the partnership, the partnership of the Spirit and God's people interceding that God is going to get what it is that he is after. Um, I would suggest to you, if at least at this point in journeying, we have not necessarily realized it in the most powerful or dynamic way that Jesus is looking for partnership in the earth. And one of the primary or fundamental ways that this partnership is experienced is in and through the place of prayer and intercession. Um, If we do not have time to pray, then we will not have much room for God's purposes. Partnership in prayer. Jesus said, when you pray, pray this way. Our Father, right? This this great Matthew 6 prayer, when they said, teach me, or in more than an individual way, teach us how to pray. Um, As we've suggested here before, they watched him live. They watched him open the eyes of the blind, the ears of the deaf. 
They watched him raise the dead. They watched him multiply food. But there was one thing after watching his life that they were, if I could say it this way, envious of. They said, we want your prayer life. Teach us how to pray. There's a lot of things that we can learn to do. There's a lot of cute church tricks that we can employ in order to develop influence. But when those who have proximity to others gather around us, do they want your gifting? Do they want your zeal? Do they want your relationships? Do they want your business strategy? Do they want your finances? Is there anybody rallied around you that says, I want your prayer life? Is there anybody who's watching you live that says, man, if I could have anything that I've actually gotten to see you in, I want your prayer life. This is what they told Jesus. Teach us how to pray. And he says, pray this way. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Right? And he goes through a series of things. But he comes down to your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The writer of Hebrews tells us that while Jesus was on the earth with loud cries and tears, this is Hebrews 5, 7, he lifted his voice to the one who he knew was able to save him. That was not a question in Jesus' mind. He knew that at any moment God could have delivered him. At any moment he himself could have changed the look and feel of his circumstances. He was lifting his voice to the one that he knew was able to save him and radically change the experience of life circumstances for him. He knew this. He was 100% convinced of it. There was never a doubt in his mind of the ability of his father or even the authority that he had been entrusted with to change what it was that he was going through. He could have altered the process. So when it says he's lifting with loud cries and he's weeping with many tears, it's not out of fear, it's not out of doubt, it's not out of misunderstanding, but it's out of a deep-seated conviction that his father is doing something, he's doing it a certain way, he realizes his placement in that process, and he, as a man full of the Spirit, wants to yield himself in real time to the way that his father is working these things out, and he is wrestling with the way through intercession. So much so that in the garden, he is bleeding out of his face as he is praying. Not because he does not recognize that he could have the cup pass or that he could create another way. He is bleeding out of his face and the intensity of intercession has gripped him because he understands that his father is longing to use him in a particular way. And it is the way that he does not want to bypass and it requires significant amounts of time in prayer for him to be faithful to what it is that his father is doing. This is Jesus we're talking about, right? This isn't Prophet Jimmy Jack or, you know, Deacon Jones. This is Jesus that we're talking about. And it is requiring significant amounts of time in intercession 
as he is being broken in the process of prayer in order for him to be faithful to the process that his father has determined is the way he is working things out in the earth. Um, I would suggest that without significant amounts of time in intercession, there is no actual real way for us to be discerning enough to realize the way that God is actually working out his purposes in the earth right now. Everybody has their opinions. This is what God is doing. That's what God is doing. If you were to simply canvas social media, you would think that God is bipolar. Because everybody says that God is doing everything, even at times with opposing viewpoints. Can God honestly and authentically be involved in all of the opposing viewpoints that people are suggesting or wielding by way of their own influence, saying that this is where God is and this is the way he's doing it? It took significant amounts of time for Jesus to be broken in the place of intercession for him to actually come to the place where he could now pray what it was that was going to continue to align him with the way. And I would suggest to you that this is exactly the way it is in your life and mine. There are significant seasons of wrestling that God uses to process you. There are significant seasons of wrestling that God uses to process you. But the process has been designed to push you to release the prayer that God has been after. Because in most cases, we are praying things, not that God is not interested in it, but there are things that God is ultimately interested in. Right? There are things that are ultimate, that are driving everything that is immediate. And in most instances, because we don't necessarily either understand or we do understand and we just really don't care or we do care, but so many of the immediate worldly things has dulled us or distracted us. We are praying other things. Our life and time in prayer has gotten hijacked by the immediate concerns of this life. And so God has to design a process that is going to press us to the place where we begin to pray the thing that brings our attention back to the things that he has determined are ultimate and the way he is working things out. And so he has a way of designing seasons in life to process you by way of pressing you. Has anybody ever been pressed? And you've been pressed beyond the point of trying to pretend like you're not being pressed. Because it's one thing to be pressed in a minor way. right? Minor afflictions, minor inconveniences, things that, I mean, they're, they're aggravating, but they're not necessarily disruptive in nature. Like, you can still pretend like you got it all together. You can still keep with your flow and your rhythm of life and all of the things that uh, have, like, gained traction in your attention. You, you can still do that. But then there are other seasons. Right? Th then there's this, uh, this confrontational uh, insert in Hebrews 11. And then others. Right? As you're reading through the great hall of faith. 
Right? You have all of those who seem to experience these extraordinary, celebratory, mountaintop highs, all of these uh, seeming epic testimonies that rise. And then you get to these two words, halfway down through the hall of faith. But others were sawn in two. Others were actually tortured and beaten. Others... And you find that at the end of that, the writer of Hebrews says, but all of these were rewarded for their faith. Right? So, so then there's other seasons where God begins to press us. And if we're not careful, we'll go through these seasons of pressing. And they won't actually be unto what it is that God is after. We'll go through these seasons of pressure and pain and trial by design. Because what some of us need to understand is that the blessing is actually the breaking. The blessing is actually the breaking. Right in Matthew 26, he's seated with them, he takes the bread, he blesses it, and then he breaks it so that he can multiply it. Most of us want to go from blessing to multiplication, but there, there's a little insert in between there that's called the breaking. But the blessing is actually in the breaking because it's the breaking that aligns us with the way so that we don't squander or for a lack of proper stewardship or management of what it is that God is longing to do, utilize or leverage what it is he's doing ultimately towards things that we are interested in only. The blessing is in the breaking. And God has a way of using these seasons of pain, pressure, trial, tears. He has a way of using these seasons to drive us into alignment, to drive us into being synchronized, to drive us into harmony with his purposes. God has a way, it is a beautiful wisdom that is beyond our ability to humanly interpret him or limit him by our own intellect. God has a way and there is a masterful wisdom that he uses to allow the design of a particular season to put enough pressure on us to finally get us to pray the way that he has been looking for us to pray. Because you rarely pray the way you should, meaning like um, volume. You rarely pray the way you should by way of volume or by way of vow when everything is comfortable. By way of volume, not meaning intensity of your voice, I'm talking about substance. You rarely pray by way of volume or by vow when everything is comfortable. But God has a way of designing seasons to press us until we pray. Where we finally put down all of the gimmicks, where we finally let go of all of the other resources, where we finally stop trying to pretend like we've got it all together and that we can just flex our muscles at all of the seasons we go through or that we can rally the right prophetic word in order to turn things over. Right? God has a way of beautifully and masterfully reducing us down 
to the place where prayer has now become a lifeline. It has now become life itself. It is no longer just a last-ditch effort, but it is the thing that God uses in the struggle of a particular season in order to keep us alive. And I'm not talking about by way of losing your life. I'm talking about by way of losing your sanity. Because there are certain seasons where you just can't fake it well enough. Because the design of the season is masterful. And God knows how to undo all of those little Christian images and masks that we put on in order for people to believe that we're doing better than we actually are. And he has a way to drill down into what's actually happening on the inside of us. To push us to pray. This is what we opened with towards the end of the age. There's going to be a pressing that comes on the saints in that season that is going to get them to release the intercession in the measure that God is longing for, that is going to fill the bowls of heaven, and that is actually, think about this, the intercession at the end of the age is the partnership that God is looking for to pour out the judgments on the earth that are going to initiate or inaugurate the return of his son. It is intercession. This is the partnership. And I would suggest to you that in this season of your life, it's exactly what God is looking for. He's looking for intercession. He's looking for intercession. Because what we oftentimes don't realize is that prayer is what gives God permission to involve himself in our process. Prayer actually grants him permission to involve himself in our process. But not just any prayer. Because when you've been pressed and when you've been crushed, what you also begin to understand is that through seasons of pressing and crushing, through seasons of incredible trial, persecution, sorrow, tears, what you also understand is that like what Paul says in 1 Corinthians, listen, when we're with those that are immature, we speak immature things. But don't get it twisted. We have a language that's been given to us that's reserved for those that are mature. Paul says there's a language that is combining spiritual thoughts, ideas, realities, revelatory insights with human language or articulation. He says there is a language that's been given to us or granted to us by the Spirit. And what you understand is that in severe seasons of sorrow and trial, the way you pray begins to change. Your language changes. Your language changes. And what you find over enough time is that we begin to be reduced down in some ways to a singular heart cry in certain seasons. And I would ask you in this season, what is your singular heart cry? What are you after? If God answered what it is that erupts, what it is that bubbles up, that thing that you've been targeting in the place of prayer, if he answered it this afternoon, what would that actually manifest into? And who all would it actually affect?
God has a way of masterfully designing a season that is going to bring us to the threshold where we finally pray the way that he's been looking for us to pray and release the vow as it is in 1 Samuel 1. Hannah's in a season of frustration. I know we're all familiar with 1 Samuel 1. Hannah's in a season of frustration. She's carrying a word from God, but she seems to be resisted in every practical way and fleshly resource that she knows how to utilize in order to try and bring about what it is that she knows God said. And she's in a house where others seem to be flourishing, where others seem to be thriving. And she has rivals in that season. Elkanah is married to two wives. Hannah is one. Panina is the other. Panina is living in the outcome that Hannah so desperately desires. And, and I'm not necessarily going to try to get into all of the, the needed, like, relational exhortations that come out of this. Uh, because there are definitely a bunch. But the point is, is that it was driving Hannah to weep and fast and pray. And this is what we learn as you begin to read the first several verses in 1 Samuel 1. It says that, yeah, she was being provoked. Yeah, she had rivals. Panina was at her every day, reminding her of her barrenness, reminding her and frustrating her. But Hannah was allowing this frustration to drive her to the right places. Being frustrated in a particular season is not enough. Many of us go through seasons of frustration, but it's not actually unto something that is ultimate. We go through seasons of frustration where God has designed the right season, but we somehow make it through the right season without actually arriving at the right place. And we allow these seasons of frustration to be in vain. And they're in vain because they don't actually connect us or engage us to what it is that God is ultimately after. We go through seasons where we're just frustrated, but nothing actually changes. We go through seasons where we suffer, where there's tears, where we pray, where we're going after it. So we think, but it's not actually connecting us to what it is that God was ultimately after. But Hannah is being driven by her sorrow. And she's fasting and she's praying. She's weeping. Right? But part of the blessing in the breaking is it gets us to engage the life of devotion that God always desires that's not only reserved for emergency seasons. Right, right? Because God understands that for the most part, most of us are not the same person all the time. Right? This sounds super funny, but it is heartbreaking how accurate it actually is. God understands that without trouble or trial, you're not actually praying as much as you should. Without sorrow and suffering, we don't find the need to fast and pray, right? That, that's always part of the gut-wrenching, oh, well, you're on another fast? Oh, well, well what are you, well, I'm not saying me. I mean, for most, it just, it is what it is now. But in most instances, this is the question. 
Oh, you're on a fast? Well, what do you want? Well, what do you want? Well, I want him. Well, I, uh, yeah, I get that. But like, what, what do you want though? Like, what are you after? Like, what are you looking for? What are you trying to accomplish? Like, what objective is driving your investment in fasting and praying? As if to assume that a simple hunger for Jesus wouldn't be enough or a longing on the inside to see his purposes fulfilled couldn't satisfy every season regardless of whether or not I was going through something that you or even I determined was a hardship worthy enough of a certain type of devotion. And the Lord understands that for the most part, it requires a certain amount of tension to bring out of you a certain level of devotion. Well, God, I want this to change. Yeah, I, I get that. But if it changes, you're not going to get up early anymore. I mean, yeah, I, I, I understand. I mean, it's, it's tough, but... But if, it, but if it changed, you, you'd go right back to all your meals instead of missing some of them. Um, if, if it changed, you, you wouldn't be up late. You wouldn't be in the word like you are. You, wouldn't, like, like, you, don't, you don't see it the same way that I see it. Um, th there's a certain measure of tension that becomes a blessing because the tension breaks us and brings us to what is the place of devotion that God is longing for in a consistent way and not just in seasons where we've come to the conclusion that there's enough emergency happening in my life to bring this level of devotion to him. It's not in case of emergency break glass. Now, what if we lived in a consistent way as if the glass was always broken? Well, brother, that that'd be that that'd be just a little extra. Now you're you know, you're you're just you're one of those radicals, you know, like you're you're one of those extreme, you know, you're one of those brother. That's just unnecessary to who? And Hannah is allowing her frustration to drive her to the right place. She's fasting. She's praying. She's weeping. And it's it's interesting because it says in verse 11 of chapter one that all of the buildup. Right? Because it's been building. This wasn't like a two-week ordeal. Right? Any one of us can make it through two weeks of tension. Right? This wasn't like a two-week ordeal. Right? Where you could just like pretend it didn't really exist. Two weeks would go by and then you could rise on the other side like, ah, well, I'm, I'm glad everything is better now. This is something that at least the implications of the way the story is being told existed a lot longer than she actually knew how to deal with. But yet in verse 11, it says that it brings her to the place where she finally releases the vow. And, and all of the pressure of her season has been bringing her to where she would actually realize that in the pressure, there is a prayer that God has been looking for. That in previous seasons, because there's not yet been enough tension, it has not yet brought enough sensitivity for her to engage the language that God has been stirring on the inside. That the drill of the design of the season actually cracked the well on the inside. And because the well got cracked, the vow got made. And she finally says... Lord, if you 
will fulfill your word to me. I vow that this boy, what you birth in my life, what you do through me, my sense of destiny, your purpose that broods over me, even as the Holy Ghost did over the surface of the deep in the very beginning, your purpose that broods over me, if you manifest your desires in me and through me, God, I'll give all of it back to you. And I will dedicate him. And I'll give him to you for all the days of his life. You see, whether or not Hannah realized it, the pressure of her season was building to finally bring her to the place where she would pray the prayer that would give God the permission to do through her his purpose that he longed to see happen in her life. It was the level of tension that she had endured. It was all of the seasons of sorrow and breaking. It was not all just building ultimately in vain, but it was building into a beautiful place of intercession. And this is what we have to understand. God is looking for prayer and intercession. God is looking for all of the pressure of your season to push you to pray and intercede, but not just in simple, immediate, worldly, carnal, fleshly ways. But he's looking for us to be sensitive. He who has an ear, let him hear what it is that the Spirit is saying. But when the well actually gets cracked on the inside, when it actually gets cracked on the inside, there's a churning that begins to happen in deep places. There's a churning that begins to happen in deep places on the inside. And there's a groan where we are reduced down to a painful ache and groan where a singular focus seems to harness us in the place of intercession. And we say like David, I understand that there's a million things going on. Right? That's the way Psalm 27 opens. Right? Any of us who try to act like David was just sitting in a cloud of glory all the time and penning these right, wonderful little psalms and prayers, and you know, that, that's not what it was. Psalm 27 opens with enemies, adversaries, war that surrounds me. When the foe wants to encamp, seeking to devour my flesh. Right? Like David is not necessarily having a great day by way of his immediate earthly evaluation or circumstantial evidence. David is not having how you and I would relate to a great day, but it is a great day according to God's purpose. Because the day has finally brought him to the point where he will pray what it is that God has always been after. There's a million things that I could have. But this one thing I ask, this one thing I will seek. Hannah was reduced down at the end of her resources, at the end of her own intellectualism, at the end of all of the facades. And there is a raw, and when I say raw, I mean full-on exposure, right? It's no longer this like cute, little neat, like hidden, 
private little thing. Hannah is at the temple, weeping, groaning, and not wailing like at the top of her voice because Eli is there and he actually thinks that she is drunk. Right? His evaluation is you've lost your mind. You are drunk like beat it. And she says, no, you don't actually understand what's going on. I am so desperate. I am so broken. The sorrow that has come upon my life in whatever season means for Hannah, right? One week, 10 years, whatever season actually means. She's like, it's actually gotten to the point where it has pushed me across that line that we all have on the inside, right? That, that line in the sand, like, that we all try to flirt with, that we all try to, like, run up super close to and, and peek over to see, like, like if I actually cross, there's no, there's no going back. If I actually step over or if I get pushed over, there, there's no actually, like, getting myself together then and going back to the way that things have always been. That, that line internally that we all have, where we try to manage our hunger and we try to like compartmentalize it and benefit off of it depending on who we're around and what situation gets created. That line on the inside where we're really reserved but then in certain like external ways we can at least pretend like we're really all in and going for it. It's that line on the inside that every single one of us has that Hannah has finally crossed. This is it. It's either, God, you give me what you said, or I'm going to die in this place of desperation going for it. There's no going back. There's no going back. There's no way to put myself back together again and just go back to what I've always known to be normal, at least trying to pretend like I'm satisfied there. I cannot be satisfied with where it is that I've been. I have crossed this line and it's everything that I've got. It is all in from this point forward. And this groan, these tears, this wailing, this intercession, it will not cease. And in certain ways, I will give you no rest until you fulfill your word to me. Um, this is where Hannah is. But the whole design of her season was trying to press her to pray. Have you realized that? Have you realized that the design of your season personally and then also the design of the season globally is not pushing you to complain. It's not trying to press you to become critical. It's not trying to lure you in to all of these seeming intellectual disputes over how things are going or where things are going. The design of your season is trying to press you into the place of prayer and intercession so that the language that erupts on the inside of you when the well of hunger actually gets penetrated in the deep places of your inner man, when that language begins to rise, that intercession will actually give God the permission that he is looking for to establish his partnership for his 
his purposes in this hour of history. But if we don't know it, we'll do everything other than pray. If we don't know it, we'll look for all of these other seeming fanciful ways to get ourselves out of the season that we're in, rather than realizing the whole purpose possibly of the season that we are in is because we have not yet released the prayer that God has been looking for. It took a certain prayer that Hannah had to release. Hannah's was in the form of a vow. It took a particular prayer that she had to pray in order for God to push his purposes forward in her life. Moses would be another one. Right? When we, when we look at Exodus chapter 3, it's actually amazing. Um, you can turn to Exodus 3 if you want. Moses is meeting with God in front of the bush that is on fire. It is a holy place. Moses' life is being rearranged in this encounter. His previous season is shifting. He is being thrust forward into the purposes of God that he at least in some ways, tried to establish for himself in uh, the history of his life. But in verse 7, this is what God says to Moses. L listen to these words. For the Lord said, now this is in the place of encounter in front of the bush that's on fire, the burning bush. I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt. And I have given heed to their cry because of their taskmasters, for I am aware of their sufferings. The sufferings that they were experiencing through at least who the Lord called their taskmasters. There was a particular design of a almost 400 year period that the children of Israel went through. Genesis 15, God says to Abraham, uh, Abram at the time, Abraham, um, your descendants are going to be enslaved. They're going to be taken into exile. They're going to be enslaved. It's going to be a period of almost 400 years. He's like, the measure of the sin of the Amorites is not yet full. See, there's a variety of things that are happening simultaneously. But there's a measure of sin of the Amorites that's not yet full. I am going to judge them. I am going to judge the Egyptians. But, but there's an almost 400-year process that I am going to utilize in order to bring these purposes to pass. There's a 400, 390 years. There's an almost 400-year process that I am going to use in order to push this purpose forward. He prophesies it to Abraham. The children of Israel are going through it. They are at the tail end of it, yet they don't know it. Right? All they know is that they're suffering. All they know is that they, for their whole life, have been persecuted. They've been living under pressure for decades and generations now. They are actually on the precipice or on the threshold of crossing over this extraordinary Passover moment in their life. But they don't know it. 
They don't know it. They are buried in the pain. And they don't realize that they are about to pass over. They are suffering. They are weeping. They are wailing and crying out. That is all they know. But the part that they don't know is that God is aware of their cry. God is actively involved because they've been praying and interceding. And their suffering has now produced a groan that has now given God permission to raise a man up on the backside of the wilderness and to come to him in the fire of a bush to move him to be the deliverer that is going to initiate their Passover moment. Their interceding and their intercession has actually opened up the way for God to get this man that has been on 40 years of brokenness. They're crying out God is aware of their cry. Because he's aware of their cry, he's moving on their behalf in the partnership of their intercession. Though they're just interceding and they don't yet realize the way that God is moving. Right? Sometimes we're so close. Sometimes we're so close. But because the the perseverance just yet hasn't been conditioned enough. Right? We always use Daniel as an example. He prayed for one thing for 21 straight days. And the angel says in Daniel 10, on the first day that you began to pray, the first day that you humbled yourself, the first day that you began to seek the Lord, the first day that you were fasting and crying out, God made a way for you. The first day that you began to fast and pray, I was, by way of angelic assistance, was released to you. God granted provision in the beginning of your intercession, but there was a war in the heavens. And God, through the persistence of your intercession, was able to send me assistance so that I could be released in order for the provision that was released to you to actually find its way to you. And they're suffering, but they're crying out. They're going through the pain of a difficult design of a season, but they're interceding. And God tells Moses, I'm aware of their cry. And because I want to be faithful to answer the cries of the people that I say are covenantally mine, I am raising you up. I've come to find you in response to the way they've been praying. I'm now bringing you into the moment of this story that's been building because through the intercession of my people, it has now actually granted me permission to involve myself the way that I've longed to. And he says, I'm aware of their sufferings, verse 8, and so I've come to deliver them from the power of the Egyptians. What's amazing is Moses... Right, he goes through his trouble with the Lord, right? As we all do, right? He's wrestling, like, man, like, God, what are you talking about? You know, on and on. God is frustrated. It even says that on their way up from there, right? Uh, when you look in um, Exodus 5, um, it says that God intended to kill him, <laughs> right? But his wife comes to him, you're a bridegroom of blood to me, and on and on. Um, so it's not like it was perfect. 
right? Moses was in process even with imperfections. But God was faithfully working those things out because he was at least walking the right way. Right? He was walking the right way, which at least provided the measure of grace for things to, not, not that God is satisfied with the imperfections. He is definitely trying to work those things out. Right? But when we're walking the right way, at least it provides the grace for those things to be handled the right way. But Moses gets this word, and he goes to the children of Israel. And it says that he actually starts to tell them what it is that God is saying. And as you read over this, he even goes to Pharaoh, right? This is from Exodus 3 to 4 and 5, and we're going to land on a particular verse in, verse, uh, in chapter 6. Um, and then we're just really going to see what God does. But in chapter 3, he has this wild encounter. God says, they've been crying out, they've been interceding, now I'm moving on their behalf. I'm bringing you into the story in a particular way, and all of this is because I want to be faithful covenantally to my people. Right? Chapter 4, chapter 5, chapter 5, he goes to Pharaoh. And Aaron, who's now with him, right, because Moses didn't think he could accomplish it by himself, they go to Pharaoh and they start telling Pharaoh. And what does Pharaoh do in response to now being aware of God's desires? Pharaoh increases the labor of the children of Israel. He increases the labor and he tries to wear them out with work. He tries to distract them so that their sensitivity or discerning to what it is that is the word of the Lord in season can fall off of their radar. It's not that they didn't hear what Moses said. It's not that they weren't sensitive to the encounter that Moses had. It's just that they had gotten so preoccupied with the seeming necessary responsibilities day by day that they were wearied and preoccupied with other things. So much so that when you come to chapter 6, Moses is now bringing this back to God. And he's like, man, things are not going the way that I thought they would. Like, yes, I went and told them what you said. And they don't really seem to care. Yes, I went and told Pharaoh. And he doesn't really care either. And he comes back to the Lord. And in verse, um, let's start it in verse 2. And God spoke further to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. And I appear to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they sojourned. And then verse 5. Furthermore, I have heard the groaning of the sons of Israel. There are some seasons where you don't even necessarily know what to pray anymore. You don't even know what to say anymore. And it's so beautiful. Where the pain 
has finally pushed you past the point of pretending that God's intervention is based off of your own performance. That like you're finally going to sound fancy enough in the place of prayer that's going to activate a wild move of God on your behalf. That you're finally going to say something so impressive to God. Right? Like, you're finally going to say something so impressive to God where he's going to take, be taken back and be like, man, d- did you hear that? Like, did you sit, man, like, that was amazing. I've never heard that one before. Right? Like, we're finally going to piece together the perfect sentence in the place of prayer. God says, I am aware, I am sensitive to their groaning. Some seasons go without words. Right? But this is, this is what Romans 8 says. Paul says, sometimes we don't know how to pray. Right? So let's at least, if Paul thought that, then let's at least just be honest with ourselves. Paul says, we don't know how to pray as we ought. Right? Like, this is amazing. It takes all the pressure off. It releases all of the image-driven performance that we're after. It takes us out of all of the self-induced applause that we're trying to create for ourselves. We don't know how to pray at times the way that we should. But Paul says, that's why you have the Spirit. And he says it's the Spirit that's in you. Right? This is beautiful. This is Romans 8, 22, 23, but it's the spirit that is actually in you that with groanings, utterances, verse 26 tells us groanings, sometimes unintelligible speech, sometimes it's the churning of the spirit to finally break us down from all of these other spaces and places that we so frequently try to occupy in order to make something happen. Finally, at a certain point in the process, we realize that there's nothing that we can actually make happen. And words become few. Some seasons there's just groaning. And God says, I've heard the groaning. Some seasons, there's just tears. But as we looked at just a minute ago in chapter 3, God says, I'm sensitive to the tears. I'm aware. Sometimes the season is trying to push us to do things that we wouldn't normally necessarily do had the season not been designed the way that God designed it. And he says, I'm aware of their groaning because the Egyptians are holding them in bondage. But I have remembered my covenant. God, would you loose things over us? that the enemy is attempting to hold hostage? Would you loose things over us that the enemy thinks that with enough preoccupation, he can busy us to the point where we forget about what you said, where we're not going after it anymore, where we're not contending for it anymore, where we don't even necessarily believe it anymore because the association of my season has grinded me out to the point where I am so 
under. I am so beaten down. I am so weary. I am so over it. There's not even necessarily something that's alive on the inside that still believes that you desire to do this. And in some points, I've even asked myself if I missed it altogether. But the Egyptians are holding them in bondage. But I've remembered my covenant. And say therefore to the sons of Israel, I am the Lord. And I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. And I will deliver you from their bondage. What's amazing is that even Moses had to go through a process that brought the right prayer out of him. Forty years on the backside of a bush, 40 years of obscurity, brokenness, desperation, dealing with all of his insecurities, dealing with all of his own self-dependencies. Right? Moses was the man early on, powerful in deed and in speech. But when God finds him in Exodus 3, what does he say? He says, I, I can't even talk now. Like earlier, I was power in, full in speech. Now I can't even talk. Right? Like uh, the, the, the implications are, man, I've got this lisp. I have this stutter. Like, like there's something about my speech that has been radically affected by the design of my season. I can't even talk the same. My season has changed me. I can't even think of myself the same. My season has accomplished something in me. He says, I'm older now. I don't have anything to bring to the table. There's nothing in and of myself that I even see that you'll be able to use in order to do the things that you're saying. And what does God say? That's the prayer I've been looking for. That's what I've been looking for. And there's actually no way that I could have gotten you to pray that earlier in your life. Because there were so many other things from within you that had not yet been reduced down or broken yet to the point where that prayer would actually come from inside of you. You didn't think that way. You had a different perspective. Your speech was radically different. You were praying about other things. You saw yourself in the story in a different way. But now that the process has actually accomplished its purpose, now you're praying the prayer that I've looked for you to pray that is going to actually now let me use you the way that I've always wanted to use you. And there just seems to be something about significant seasons in life that whittle us down. We're the hammer and the chisel. The hammer being the word of the Lord and the chisel being life circumstance where it actually whittles us down to the point where this singular cry, where this deep-seated groan where the tears that have been necessary 
to create the tide that will align us with God's purposes are finally streaming out of our face, even as they were for Jesus in the garden and the bleeding that was coming out of his face where the tears where the language, where the groaning, where the altering of our attention, meaning the interests that we have that are not necessarily connected to things that God says are ultimate, but all of the other worldly swirls and the currents and the chaos that seems to gain traction with us and drive us into different preoccupations where the whittling down of our season finally accomplishes the goal. And where it's not like, wow, man, man, that was bad. But who I dodged a bullet there because it was bad, but it didn't actually push me over the tipping point the way that God was hoping it would. Like, yeah, 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 like, like I didn't really like that. And yeah, like, I, I kind of got scared because it lasted a little longer than I knew how to deal with. But whoo, boy, am I glad, praise God, that it didn't actually push me over the threshold. I dodged one there. Oh man, I thought I was going to have to like really get desperate and go all in with God. Now, I mean, maybe you wouldn't communicate it that way. I mean, I doubt seriously any one of us actually would. But the blessing is in the breaking. And in order for God to do something extraordinary in this hour, it is going to take an extraordinary effort on behalf of the work of the Spirit on the inside of the deep places in all of our lives to finally reduce us down to the place of utter dependency on God and God alone, where it's either God moves or everything is going to hell from this point because I've invested everything that I have, everything that I know to do, all of what has been given to me as a resource. It is now channeled in a singular direction. The vow of Hannah is building. The prayer of Moses is rising and the wells of my forefathers, meaning a desperate people, a bankrupt people, a beautifully dependent people in previous seasons that have given themselves to the place of prayer that have actually tipped the bowls in specific hours of history in order for God to pour himself out in a real manifest way. It is going to be one of two opposite extremes. Um, either I'm just going to put myself together and be satisfied with living without. I'm going to decorate a lack of a move of God really nice. We'll paint the walls. We'll get new carpet. We'll get a bigger projection screen. I'm going to learn how to decorate a lack of the manifesting of God's presence and the radical alignment of his purposes. I'm gonna learn how to decorate that real nice. I'm gonna learn how to satisfy it with specific language. 
I'm going to come up with all these new Christianese type statements so that I can at least give the appearance that things are thriving in this season, even though God is not necessarily manifesting himself the way that my heart is on fire for. At a certain point, the churning has to accomplish the goal. And the goal is to crack the well. Isaac went and redug the well of his forefathers. I'm grateful for history. I'm grateful for the testimonies. Praise God. Brownsville 25 years ago. At least that would be the most recent of what we would consider to be an extraordinary supernatural outpouring. Grateful for that. But I refuse to read history books for the rest of my life and be in awe of a God in yesteryears. I refuse to satisfy the longing that is alive on the inside through the testimony of a man who tells me what was in a day that is behind me. There is something that is, I, I don't know any other way to put it, it is hurting on the inside. Because I want to see God do something in our hour of history. There is something of a painful deposit that God has placed on the inside. I, I could give a rip about the American dream. You can have it. I want an outpouring of God's spirit. I want God to pour himself out with glory and with might that would completely create a divine dissatisfaction with all of the other nonsense that people even in church life have just learned to condition themselves with and just learned how to applaud. Well, God's not really present, and so we've just learned to say God showed up because they sang my song or he talked about my favorite verse or so-and-so came up to pray. I am after a move of God in our hour of history and I would rather continue giving in to the churn on the inside than acting, acting like everything is what it is not. And when they gave themselves to the wells of their forefather, what they found is that there were flowing waters. When the servants of Isaac went out and began to dig, what they found is that there was water there. There was a wellspring that was there. There was a river. There was a current on the underside of what the Philistines had attempted to fill in with the earth. What is Genesis 26 in a simple way trying to communicate. The enemy is masterful at filling in the wells with the concerns of the earth. The enemy is a mastermind at getting us preoccupied with things that are immediate, things that are earthly, things that are a fleshly concern. This is what Genesis 26 is saying. The Philistines covered in the wells. They filled them in to where they were no longer aware to the undercurrent. But there's an undercurrent. There's rivers of living water 
There's rivers of living water. And I believe that the Lord in this hour is raising up a people that will give themselves to the gripping of the Spirit and do what you must, Holy Ghost, in all of our lives. I pray even those who don't want to get got would be completely ruined. Those who are trying to avoid a touch that would disrupt their lives, even as they've known it to be normal up until this point. Those who don't want to be like really got, but those who just want to be like a little bit got so that they can enjoy like an emotional service or so that they can kind of thrive a little bit in a Christian environment or so that they can keep their idea of man like this would be cool. Like if I could do all of this stuff and have the language of being all in with Jesus, but like don't really touch me because if you really touched me and ruined what I got going on, like I'd I'd be kind of mad if I couldn't have going on all the stuff that I want to have going on. I pray even those that don't really want to get got. Those of us who don't even necessarily have the interest level right now. You don't even have a grid for what it is that I'm talking about. I'm believing for suddenlies. This is something that God has to do. Man, I'm talking about where you wake up in the middle of the night and you're just totally charged. I'm talking it feels like you plugged yourself into an electrical outlet. All you can do is vibrate. All you can do is pray in tongues. All you can do is weep for hours. You can't go back to sleep. You can't pretend like, man, I got stuff to do tomorrow. You know I got to get this rest. Where God actually begins to come on you and it is disruptive in nature to all of what you have defined as normal in your life right now. This is what I'm asking the Lord for. To beautifully and painfully bring a disruption to the image of church and life that we have satisfied our hearts and minds with. Where it's either he really steps in to the midst of us and shakes everything that can be shaken and does it all for the glory of his own name and purposes in the earth. Or there is nothing else to do. We're just going to keep going for it. And we're going to go for it every time we get together. And we're going to go for it every time we see each other. And it's not going to be reserved for some 90-minute slot on Sunday. But don't accept an invitation to my house to come over and eat and then think that we're just somehow going to do a bunch of worldly stuff. Man, there's something that's hurting on the inside right now. And there's only one way to satisfy it. And I'm going to ask the Lord to put a supernatural deposit on the inside. God said, I am aware of their groaning. I'm going to ask him to awaken a groan on the inside. I'm going to ask him to awaken tears and to soften our hearts. Because usually what's happening in your heart comes off of your face. And in most cases, if our eyes have not been tender to the point of tears, it's because our heart needs to be tenderized and softened. I'm going to ask the Lord to really grip us. This hour of history and the season of our lives is looking for a particular response. It is looking for a particular response. 
And it is going to be a hungry remnant that rises and responds to God. And there's going to be a prayer, there's going to be a vow, there's going to be intercession that fills the bowls of heaven as incense rises. Yes, day and night, night and day, let incense arise. And so, Lord, I ask you right now to do what I can't do, to do what no one else in this room can make happen on their own. Lord, would you touch us in the depths of the deep? And I pray that as deep calls unto deep, Right now, Holy Spirit, would you touch your people? Right now, Holy Spirit, would you awaken the groan of God on the inside? Right now, Holy Spirit, would you tenderize our hearts to the point where tears come out of our face? Right now, Holy Spirit, would you accomplish your agenda of reducing us down? to the point where we actually pray. Right now, Holy Spirit, would you sever from our lives all of the other resources, tricks of the trade, games and gimmicks that we've learned over time through the conditioning and the attempts of having to do something since it seemed as if you were doing nothing. Would you touch us right now on the inside to where we actually cast off and surrender all of the images in the place of hunger, where we actually cast off all of the external facades in the place of desperation, I pray that you would get out of your people the prayer that you've been longing for them to pray. I pray that the intercession that you've been grinding and churning deep on the inside, that we would stop holding it hostage. Lord, I pray for an intervention for those of us who have so many other preoccupations. We've been busied and we've been wearied. We've been busied and we've been wearied. Pharaoh increased the workload, hoping to grind them out in order for them to forget ultimately what God said. I pray for those of us who have been busied and wearied. I ask you, Lord, for an intervention. Would you wake them up in this moment of life? Would they snap out of it? Would they fix their face once again on the word of the Lord? 
Thank you, Lord, for the beautiful reminder of your word deep, deep on the inside. Those of us who have forgotten the promise, those of us who think you have forgotten the promise, we've been busied, we've been wearied, we've been worn down. I pray for grace right now to rise. Grace right now to rise. Come on, I'm going to ask you if you're in the room to respond to the Lord. I don't feel like you can do it from your seat. It is time to make a move. It is time to make a move. We're not asking God to move where we are. It's time to make a move. God, you don't have to move on my terms. You don't have to move on my terms. Come on, just begin to respond to the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider and call for the mourning women that they may come and send for the wailing women that may, may come. Let them make haste and take up a wailing for us that our eyes may shed tears and our eyelids flow with water. For a voice of wailing is heard from Zion. How we are ruined. God, I thank you for the women of the Father's house. And Lord, I thank you that even now that you are giving permission for a sound of tears and wailing. Lord, to come of weeping and mourning for our land. Oh God, I pray that even now that the women would arise and take their place. Lord, that we would call forth the cry. Lord, that we would call forth the cry. So Lord, I thank you that even now from the depths of our souls, oh God, I give these women permission to weep and to well, to groan on the inside, Lord, for the purposes, for the purposes of Zion, for the purposes of your kingdom, oh God. So I I thank you that even now that you give us permission to be vulnerable, that you give us permission to shed the tears, that it is not weakness, no. Wailing is not weakness. Weeping is not weakness. But Lord, it's an intercession on the inside to see the purposes of heaven come. So Lord, I thank you that even now that you would stir every woman in this place. Lord, I thank you that water would begin to flow. Lord, I thank you that the tears of intercession will begin to flow. Lord, I thank you, Lord, for the painful places that you've allowed us to walk through. Lord, because you've given us access. You've given us access to your heart, oh God. So, Lord, I thank you that even now a sweeping, a sweeping in this room, Lord. Lord, that we would begin to cry out for more. That we would cry out for more, Lord. 